I'm here with Lee Gundersheimer. Am I saying it right? Gundersheimer is just right. And Lee is the brand new artistic director of the Players Theater. A very big challenging job. And um, so we're very, very happy to have you. And um, I interview people who make their living or their life with an art. And I suspect that you make either your entire living, most of your living, have made many parts of your living with and the art of theater. Would I be correct? Correct, yes. For most of my adult life, I've been working in the theater, either um, professionally or teaching. Or um, my last position, though, right before this job, was the arts and culture coordinator for a city in Minnesota. So I was branching out and doing more than just theater. Yeah, you were, right. Well, you were helping theater. <laughs> Correct. Okay, so um, um, I only ask one question, and it is, do you remember, can you recall, can you tell me, the very first time in your life that theater, acting, singing, dancing, telling stories, any of that, captured you, seemed interesting to you, you're nodding your head, that's correct. Mm -hmm. So I guess you do, so will you tell me? I grew up in a Jewish household, so I was the explain Hanukkah narrator in the middle of a Christmas pageant. <laughs> so they even called me just Mr. Gundersheimer, and I came out and explained what Hanukkah and the story of the, you know, menorah and everything. But I knew when I was performing this, that it felt really fun. So how old were you? Oh, I think I was eight, maybe eight. seven or eight. I think it was second grade. Did they pick you because you were the Jewish boy in the class, or did you had you been doing reading or speaking or any of that? I, I honestly don't know. I was always the person who got a check mark in self-control because I was a bit of a goofball. So they must have thought I had some desire to maybe be a performer of some kind. It's like a random event that gives you some information about yourself that you may not have had before. So what is the next event? We did a children's play called The Crown Prince of Wonderlust. <laughs> and I played a bunch of different trees. And uh, obviously not the lead, but I was foliage of some importance and uh, performed again and really had a great time. It led me to a series of non-lead roles throughout most of my childhood, including by the time we got to high school, we did Man o La Mancha, which was a favorite musical of mine. But since I don't sing very well, I was the Inquisition leader who comes in at the very beginning and throws Cervantes down and yells a couple horrible things to him and then leads him out at the end, you know. Okay, so you said it was it's your favorite. Did you mean that then when you were a boy it was your favorite? Yes. Okay. I had the album and I wore it out. Ah, okay. So tell me, does that mean that your parents took you to the theater or this it was just about the music or? This is Miami, so there wasn't a lot of theater at that time. Mm -hmm. So there wasn't a lot to take me to. But they did have cast albums for what? I don't know, but they did. 
And I remember My Fair Lady and Camelot and Man of La Mancha and whatever the the Broadway show of that time period was that had a hit record. For some reason, my mother had them. She taught English and literature, so she always had a love of of the arts, but she was not an avid theater goer. Here we have a boy who has relatively no exposure to theater, who gets cast in these various roles, who is who likes it a lot, and who parenthetically has cast albums to plays he doesn't know anything about. Um, and yet it really captures you, is that correct? Correct. By the time I got to high school, I had a very, very great teacher. I mean, not maybe the most effective actual teacher, but a, a really wonderful guy. And he took a liking to me. And I remember I stage managed a couple shows for him professionally while he was directing outside of school. And um, I just knew I wanted to go to college at that point to be in theater. That was it. That was going to be what I did. Okay, so are you saying that while you were in school, you were stage managing a professional uh, production that this teacher was directing? Yes, a summer stock production or two in small theaters in Florida. He would, you know, I'm, I'm assuming it was hard to find good stage managers at that time. And I was silly enough to want to, you know, devote my time for very little money. So they probably hired me. Yeah, I don't think it was silly at all. I think it was serendipitous. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I mean, it, that's an experience that very few uh, young people would have. Uh, so, so you came out of high school already a uh, little seasoned, no? I, I would say barely seasoned, <laughs> but certainly not uh, a novice. And you have to remember in those days you would run shows, especially backstage, with those huge hand dimmers that you pulled like levers. So every single cue, you would have to line out the levers in the right configuration and then hit the master and go. And they were not little boards like we graduated to, which was the next big step. These were huge, you know, 10-foot lighting dimmer panels that you would control like big, huge compute room-sized computers almost, you know. Okay, so he was pretty lucky to have you then, I think. I, I was pretty deft at running around and making those cues happen, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so uh, sometime in high school, you say to yourself, this is for me. It's theater. I want to do this. And mm -hmm. so uh, did you go to college? I went, yes, I went to Florida State, um, and I majored in theater with a minor in English for Shakespeare. And I already had a love of Shakespeare at that point. Now, uh, some of that I blame on my mother having been an English teacher and, and me growing up with a room full of adult teachers more than peer friends ah. and, and always having a great deal of respect for literature. And um, we had an amazing class at Florida State. Um, Jay Smith Cameron, who plays the female lawyer on Succession, was in our class. Mm -hmm. She's a Tony Award-winning actress. And Alan Ball, who... Um, Six Feet Under and um, Road American Beauty was in our class. And there just were some really just fabulous um, experiences at Florida State. And I, um, I, even before I went to Florida State, I read Uta Hagen's Respect for Acting, and it just clicked. It made me 
not only want to be an uh, actor and a performer in theater, but it made sense to me as the right technique to do it. And so I knew I wanted to go and study with her. And I had a little sort of fortuitous path to get there, but I eventually, um, I, I got my equity card and worked at the Burt Reynolds Dinner Theater first when he first opened that theater in Jupiter, Florida. And, um, and got to work with people who I'll probably, you know, just in terms of fame, may never work with again, but Sally Field and Carol Burnett and Burt Reynolds and Karen Valentine and Martin Sheen. And I got to be directed by Josh Logan, who was one of the theater legends uh, 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 in his day. And then, but I knew the whole time I wanted to get to New York to study with Miss Hagen and was very excited when um, that program was over. I got my degree and I hightailed it to New York quicker than you could say, get on a plane. And I knew no one there except my cousin, who is an older, second cousin, she's an older woman. She was in her 60s at that point. And she was the editor of Dell Crossword Puzzles for years. And so she knew no one in theater but she gave me a place to stay until I could get a, a you know, a, a place. And I became a young, starving actor in New York studying with Uta Hagen. Wow. And I have to tell you, it was, I don't know that I've ever been as joyful uh, as an artist as sitting in that class with some amazing people with this teacher who was as good as you hoped she would be. Wow. Wow. That, that's lovely. Okay. So, um, so again, there's a lot of serendipity sort of in your in your life. A lot of I've discovered this, and oh my God, yes, it's for me. Isn't that really the life of an artist? If you're fortunate enough to know that you want to be an artist, everything starts to be serendipitous because it must be. You create that sort of avenue for yourself, and then get on it. I think that's true. I think that's true. I think I think it doesn't happen for everybody though. Um, okay, so so you study with Miss Hagen, and there you are in New York City, and what happens? Just like Judy Garland and Mickey Rooney, there were some people in class that said, let's make a theater, mm -hmm. and we were kind of too crazy enough to um, not realize, one, that that was a, not the most um, straightforward career path, like we should have been out getting agents and doing what everybody else was doing. But we really believed in our talent and that we could build a theater. So we got a lease on a space on the Upper West Side and built a theater. A showcase theater with a true repertory company, which at that point was unheard of. You just didn't have rep companies anymore. And um, so for five years, we had a, a little showcase theater space on the Upper West Side of New York. And of course, we all had other jobs to because we weren't really being paid by the theater at all. Mm -hmm. Even though we were in charge of it, we knew that we were just lucky if we got all our bills paid in time. Mm -hmm. And um, so I was also managing a video store at that time and running into a lot of very important people because they would come in to rent movies. <laughs> well, and, yeah, and again, this is more uh, varied experience in theater, is that, mm -hmm. right? Right? Mm -hmm. yeah. Okay, so... So the five years are up and, and you're all, all you guys are exhausted. And so what do you do? 
Um, I one of our rep company members introduced me to um, um, J.C. Compton, who was Harold Clerman's widow. And Harold Clerman was one of the original group theater people, and he was a director. And there is a theater named after him. He was a very important director who wrote a wonderful textbook on directing called On Directing. And um, I had switched over to directing at that point. And his widow took a liking to a production that she saw of mine and started to come back to our theater quite often. And we were about to lose our theater to a, um, a, a real estate. Um, in New York, if you make real estate viable, it becomes six times more profitable for the, you know, the owner the next time someone signs a lease. And we had shown that this neighborhood was a, a, a kind of cool place. And so we were about to lose our lease to a, you know, astronomical amount that we couldn't even begin to pay for. And she asked me to come and um, help her build an off-Broadway theater down on Union Square, right across from a couple existing theaters and down the street from the Vineyard and the Daryl Roth Theater that still exists. We built a theater called the Century Center for the Performing Arts and literally built it from the ground up. Um, it was an old social club that was a historic building because of that. We had to deal with historical preservation issues and, and all sorts of interesting things. But it had three performance spaces in it, but a true 499-seat off-Broadway commercial house. And so it was the first time that I was really working in the commercial theater and seeing the interesting differences between booking shows as opposed to building them. And so I got to run that for a few years and JC decided she wanted to sell the building and move. And so we were all out of work. And that's when I went to work at NYU in their department of drama for 10 years as the industry liaison. So I was the person that was getting the, the undergrads work. So I was doing internships and directing their showcases and running the summer program and introducing them to the world of theater. So I have students in numerous positions in many, many different parts of the art world that um, I was lucky enough to work with when they were just, you know, sowing their oats. It's so wonderful to see the success of them in so many different places. And they were lucky enough to have come across you at that point, at that time because yeah. you helped launch them, right? Some of them could have been launched by anybody. They were so talented, but some of them, yes. I had been teaching academically all this time, but didn't have a master's. Um, so, and so, you know, in the world of academia, if you're teaching people and you don't have a terminal degree, that you can only get by on professional experience for so long, unless you're Lawrence Olivier. So they asked me to go back and get a degree, which I did at Brooklyn College, and then that led me to think I should try for some more full-time teaching. And there was my wife um, at the time uh, uh, had um, became sick with lung cancer. And I after a three-year struggle, I lost her. And so the loss of my wife and this sort of crossroads of my life, 9-11 had happened and a couple other things. And I thought, let me get out of New York. I had been in New York the entire time Madonna had had a career. And I felt like um, 
she even got out. So I, at some point, I should probably leave. And so a job in Duluth, Minnesota opened up as a visiting professor. And I thought, okay, that's not a commitment. That's just testing the waters. Let's go out there. And so I did. And start a new life, really. Yeah. So Mm -hmm. how long were you there? I was there for the two years that the position was available. The person who was on sabbatical was coming back. And so I was job hunting again, and it was between a full-time teaching job in a small liberal arts college in Georgia or to be the managing director at a Shakespeare festival in Winona, Minnesota. And at the time, I had a partner in Duluth, and I could do the four-hour, we could be apart during the week and maybe be back on the weekends if I did the Minnesota gig. So I went back to being a a full-time theater administrator, and that sort of put me on this path that has led me to Sarasota. Yeah, right. Because I would have been a tenured professor somewhere and just probably staying in the world of academia. Did you miss acting at all? No, because the whole time I've been teaching acting and performing. Yeah, I've been performing and directing and playwriting and working on the side in every one of these positions quite a lot and and had a great time playing some roles that I really would have maybe not had a chance to do professionally. So so you have been in every crevice of of the business, essentially. Oh, everything from planning bathrooms to cleaning bathrooms to... Directing to lighting. I've done, and recently I've done a lot of tech work over the years. So designing and hanging and focusing and you name it, I've done it. So you're here now. Have you started officially or when do you start? Yes, I'm at my desk and um, my predecessor, Jeffrey, has been really good at, um, we're collaborating and he's handing things off to me slowly but surely. And You know, we just had a wonderful meeting about a special project that we're going to be doing, and we have an opening night tonight of Forbidden Broadway. And the gang here has been really great at sort of easing me into this world. And the players is in such an interesting sort of reinvention of their own that it sort of mirrors in a way my reinvention. So it's nice. Yes, yes. Do you want to tell us anything about up and coming anything or... We well, we have a show opening tonight at, 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 that runs for two weekends, Forbidden Broadway, at our space we call the 1130. It's in the mall. And it's a wonderful parody of musical theater. And again, another quick story about that. I was waiting tables in my early 20s in New York at Avery Fisher Hall in Lincoln Center. And one of my fellow waiters was Gerard Alessandri, who is the creator of the whole series of Forbidden Broadway. And I remember him saying to me as we were straightening knives one day, (laughs) I'm going to write a musical theater parody. I think it's going to work. And I said, you go for it. And of course he did. And he now never will have to work again. He has about 30 years of Forbidden Broadways that are, have been incredibly successful. So so I feel in some way, again, if you want to talk about serendipity, how interesting that I'm here, you know, 30 years later or whatever, and um, doing his work in Sarasota. Yeah, right. 
full circle. Mm -hmm. um, okay, so uh, I, I asked one other question, and it is when you look back on your career from, uh, from the, this is, this is what Hanukkah is, you know, this is an unusual career. It seems to me, anyway, an awful lot of serendipity, but also a lot, an awful lot of different skills, different experiences, different yeah. parts of the same business, right? Um, which Correct. not everybody does. No. You know, so so would you think back on the, uh, to, to use a theatrical term, the arc of your career, and and tell me what you think about it what you would say about it, and what it meant to you. I've done quite a lot of reflecting on this, and one of the things I think is interesting is an artist, you, you need to find ways, I firmly believe, unless you're just incredibly lucky right from the get-go, you need to find ways to be the best at every aspect of that art that you can. You don't wait for people to make opportunities for you. You make them. You build them. Mm -hmm. So we built a theater when I was in my 20s. I built another theater in my 30s. Um, I decided I really thought playwriting was amazing, so I was going to be a writer, too, at the same time. I really loved directing and great directors, so I was going to learn that craft, too. I wasn't going to just sit back and say, woe is me, no one is casting me. And, and yet, I also understand that because I was doing all of those things, I may not have focused just on my performing enough. And so I may have had a more straight and narrow path if I had been silly enough or, or focused enough to just say, that's what I want. I knew in a strange way that I kind of wanted to taste all of the different dishes at the table, not just one. And, I, and that's the sort of life I've led. Yeah. And I knew that I would always be a teacher on, at every aspect of it because I truly believe that the imparting of knowledge to others is the most beautiful aspect of being human. Um. And my mother, I'm sure is an influence there, but I, I think we all teach each other daily in such interesting and profound ways. And just some of us are lucky enough to get paid to do it, you know? So, so I, um, I always knew that was going to be part of what I wanted to do as a human being. Um, I believe our, our journey in this life is the gathering of knowledge and that's what we're here to do and the path that we're on for whatever reason and not to get too kumbaya or spiritual but i i truly believe that's besides love that's the essence of being human you know um, and not even human that's almost specious um being alive because i think even the plants do this too you know yes so you said what we're doing here is crewing knowledge, but you also said, and then imparting it. It comes mm -hmm. to you and it comes through you, right? To give back, sure. Mm -hmm. So somebody with that motivation, with that impulse, it seems to me that such a person would not take a narrow path. Because it, especially in theater, and I'm not sure that it's true 
in any other career, well, in many, there's so much to learn. Mm -hmm. um, so, so if your goal is to accrue knowledge, then there's knowledge everywhere in that field, and it it makes it very, very difficult to imagine focusing on one aspect. So it doesn't seem to me odd that you would not have focused on performing it itself because these other things drew you, they called you, they mattered to you. Do you disagree? No, I don't disagree. But I, but I also believe that there are people whose knowledge gathering stays a little more focused because that's truly where they want to be and what their calling is. And, and depending on what um, it is that you are devoting your life to do, even if it's not an art, I believe there's artistry in everything. You can be, there was a train conductor on the subway on the Upper West Side of, of New York who I loved when I got on his train because I knew he was not only going to be the best conductor around, but he was going to make that journey enjoyable for everyone. And he would talk to people and make announcements that were very fun to wake up your day. And, you know, and here he is, you know, he could be an unintelligible, like everyone else, subway conductor where you're going, <laughs> but he raised that work to an art form. And he was wanting to do something in such a creative and, and um, special way. And I, I found that's true of so many professions, not just artists. There is artistry in life. And when you find the people that have mastered that or gotten that, those are the kind of fun people to be around, you know? I don't, I, did, I agree with you entirely. And, um, I think that I think you you make the point that one can delve deeply into one aspect, or one can collect um, from the many, right? And that it's person specific, and that one is not righter or wronger than the other. Um, and I think to paraphrase what you said that whatever it is you give it your whole self mm -hmm. right you appreciate the 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 chance to be creative and and do what you do in a way that is the most um successful that it could possibly be you know i think that is a really good place to stop uh, thank you so much congratulations on your new job and we look forward to whatever it is you do, whatever it is you bring, whatever it is that's new. Well, you know I'm going to say we look forward to seeing you at the theater as often as you can come. Please do. 